We don't often think about the voiceover artists behind TV and radio commercials, cartoons, documentaries, drama and video games. But they're actual people, most of them. I'll be interviewing some of the very best to get an inside track on life behind the microphone. I'm Simon Lipson and this is Your Popping. I'm delighted to welcome to Your Popping today master impressionist and all the way from LA by the way it's Jim Meskimen welcome Jim good morning Simon how are you I'm terribly well I I I ought to do that really you know more uh, you know you speak in an American accent and I'll speak in an English accent with a thing okay here we go no problem no problem well I won't (laughs) do that it's great to have you on Jim Uh, we last spoke uh when you kindly came on as a guest to making an impression which is a Mm -hmm our sister pod yeah and you you gave us some absolutely belting impressions and uh, lots of insights as well lots of interesting stuff and i urge our listeners to your popping to pop across to making an impression and have a listen to jim it's uh, it's instructive and fascinating and very funny i like that word belting we don't use that word belting here I, i'm going to use that today it's like cracking, right? It's like a cracking. It's a bit like line. cracking. Yeah, it's cracking. Yeah. Elting. I will come on to some other bits and pieces of English, uh, archaic English. Yeah, I'm sure we will. <laughs> I, I guess people here would know you best as an impressionist. And I don't know if that's how you are best known in America. You've got, I mean, you've been everywhere. You've done loads yeah. of work. You put work out everywhere. But you're also a very experienced voiceover artist now are you a voiceover artist a voice talent a voice actor how what's the nomenclature all those things i don't know i i think of it as an art form for sure but if you're going in as you know simon if you're going in to read an advert about you know sliced bread you don't feel quite as much like an artist yeah uh, perhaps as when you do a, a you know some sinister story or or some uh, comedic thing you know yeah it is an art form and there's a lot of art to it so I don't think you ever really can escape the label of artist, but some projects are a lot less artistic than others. <laughs> I guess even when you're doing something that's pretty dry, you're still having to apply a bunch of techniques. And this, yeah, this is yeah. something I've talked about with other VO artists along, along the way on your popping. It's not just turn up and read stuff. If you go into a studio, perhaps you're doing a commercial for, I don't know, the local carpet store. You've still got to give it your best shot, give your absolutely best interpretation. But there's the script, sits in front of you. What's the first thing you look for when that script's sitting there? Well, I mean, this almost sounds like you're talking about ancient history because uh, it used to be a very big part of my life that I would do exactly that. Mm. In recent years, I don't know. I mean, radio is something that obviously still exists, and I hear it, and I hear performances of one kind or another being done on it, but it's not something that floats across my inbox much anymore, frankly. And, and I think it has to do with the fact that a lot of these, the jobs that used to sustain union performers in this country uh, are being done non-union now by mm. just, you know, well-meaning, inexperienced, uh, you know, wannabe voice actors who are looking for any kind of opportunity. And sadly, you know, th- that a lot of sponsors and, and clients rather can uh, can pick up cheap voice talent uh, and not pay them residuals and not pay them very much, you know, mm-hmm. even to begin with and just sort of buy them out. And it's just the, the way that the times are going. And the thing that you always have to struggle against, I guess, as a, any kind of group has to struggle against that sort of attrition. Yeah. That being said, though, I, I you know, I, I still occasionally do get <laughs> some auditions for things like that. And at this point, I, I feel like it's an almost instantaneous recognition of what's needed. They'll tell you what's needed, what they want. But usually the person that's that has written the little paragraph describing what is wanted is not terribly effective at bringing you over to what they actually want. And it's, yeah. it's sometimes best to just ignore it. Like they'll say... Uh, you know, we're looking for someone with a really deep voice, and then they'll, as a as a model, they'll say someone with a very high voice, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> or of this female, or you know, make it sound like a pebble or a policeman. Uh, it's not very helpful sometimes. Now, in the video game world, that's a different category entirely. But yeah, the video game world, they do go into it a lot, and they tell you a lot about the character. But in radio commercials, you have to sort of 
you know, suss it out and find your way. And, and really, there aren't that many different kinds of radio commercials. Mm. And the ones that I get across my desk are usually the kind of, they're looking for someone, it's great, it's, it's so transparent, but it's, it's, it's absolutely what marketing needs. They're looking for someone's voice to sound authentic. And what does that mean? They describe it in many different ways. Like, we want to sound like, like your neighbor that you talk to. Meanwhile, none of us talk to our neighbors. Yeah. Uh, we want you to sound like your best, <laughs> you know, like the best friend that is talking. And you go, okay, well, I, I understand that concept. You want to be a real person, a genuine person. Yeah. But then it's like you're saying warm and personable lines such as get up to 90% APR on a, a bi-monthly uh, electro valve. You, you're like, all right, it's not <laughs> anything my best friend or my neighbor would ever say to me. Yeah. So it's a real challenge. And I think the challenge of sounding like an authentic person, particularly to a person who like my, like myself, who's been a voiceover actor for, you know, a long time. Yeah. Is very interesting challenge. Should I sound like this other genuine person I heard once? You know, who is a genuine person? Uh, what do you think a genuine person sounds like? Cause at the end of the day, it's whoever's hiring you. It's like who they think a genuine, authentic sure. person sounds like. And, and maybe it's completely different. Authoritative and genuine are the things I see mostly when I get a spec. You know, I, in fact, I had one today for uh, uh, some kind of technical thing, selling or, or trying to, something that would appeal to people involved in the animation world, but it's describing this very, very dry uh, technical thing, uh, but I have to be warm and authoritative, but also friendly and and something else and five other things. And I think <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just reading out some stuff that is so technical and so dull. How much character can I imbue this voice with? And in the end, as you say, you kind of just do the voice that is in your in your head and bash them out if they like it. Great. If they don't, yeah. someone else gets the gig. You mentioned about the way the model has changed, Clee, over the mm. years. You and I, going back 20 or 30 years, you, you know, you're the voice talent. You go in uh, and you, they probably sent you the script ahead of time. And it's a different setup now to where you know, people can go on the internet, audition for 50 jobs a week. They maybe get one, they get paid $200 for that and move on. And as you say, the quality, with all due respect to those people, is not as good as it would be if they're prepared to pay maybe $1,000 for somebody who really knows what they're doing. I mean, that's quite depressing, really, in some ways. <laughs> it's but a depressing conversation. It is, it is a little bit. But do you see that really then as the, as the way things are going to continue to develop so that people with vast experience like you uh, are less in demand for the, as it were, the sort of day-to-day -day jobs that used to be our bread and butter? Yeah, I think it's happening. I think it's definitely happening. If you listen to, it just makes sense. You know, it's marketers have to get out a lot of content. Everybody's on a lot of a lot of pressure to get results from advertising, and with the internet, you you factually can work with people all over the globe. So it's just a reality of the way that things are going. That yeah. uh, you know, it's just just very different from where it evolved from. And nobody knows anything. So it's all just sort of like, well, what will work? You know, let's try this. And you don't really know until you try. And Have you had, I mean, obviously going going back down the years, you must have had some pretty weird directions because I, I, I often feel that people, creatives, don't actually always know what they want until they hear it. And, you know, I think we've described that business of here's, here's all the, the things we want you to give this voice, but actually it's only when they hear something that they think, oh, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> and it's nothing like the thing that they, they specified. So what kind of weird directions have you had to contend with down the years? Well, you know, there's the old trope of, which is very, very, very true of uh, starting off with a simple script and you go and you think, oh, this is a piece of cake. This dog food is the kind of dog food that make your dog smile and it'll make you smile too. Great. And you'd lay that out and they go, huh? Yeah. And then they start to direct and micromanage. And can you, when you say dog, can you come up on dog and down on, you know, <laughs> yeah. then that you do 15, 20, 30 takes that way. And then you eventually evolve right back to that first uh, performance. Sure. And they either there, nobody's, you know, brave enough to say, 
let's just use the first one, but they eventually direct you back to, well, what do you think? You know, what, yeah. I, just do it now. Just do it the way you would do it. And then you do it like you did it and take one and they go, that's good. That's, that's got something. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, from your own experience, it happens, it happens, you know, a thousand times a month in various places in the world for a long time. And, and that's kind of ex- exacerbated that when there's eight people in the uh, yes. kind of in the, in the control booth and they've all got, Go up on end. No, go down on end. Go faster on end. <laughs> no, slower, slow, slower and faster. And it, it, that's just the mechanics of a group deciding things. Sure. And sure. a group, a group generally can agree only on the things that they're concerned about or that they're worried about. And they can't agree on a really bright idea. That's hard. So that's an individual thing. So the more people you have on the line, yeah. And I, and I, I'm sure you had this experience too, where you like. Okay, we've got uh, Mitch and Marcy and uh, Karen and Rick and uh, Ben, and we've got Victor over here. We've got Inga on the phone. I'm got, and you're like, oh, my God, we're never going to get out of here because if Inga and Victor have to agree, we're, we're just destroyed. Yeah. The other one that you get a lot, and, and which is actually has at least something that, that, that is workable, is uh, – we need it faster, but don't sound faster. Actually, sound if you can sound slower, but do it faster, right? You've heard that, right? Yeah, well, sure. Yeah. yeah. Which is, it's funny because you think, well, that's just, that can't be done. You're asking mm-hmm. me something that's impossible, but it can be done. And I think most voice actors discover that, oh, wow, as stupid as that sounds, you know, I can do that. <laughs> and that is a function of, uh, that becomes a bit of, uh, you know, skill that, that you do. Yeah. Like, I'm going to say it faster, but I sound more relaxed somehow. That's so true. I think the first time I heard that, I thought, you know, the guy said, can you do it faster but slower? Do you know what I mean? And I went, yeah, yeah, you're sure, sure. <laughs> and, of course, you're thinking, I, I haven't got a clue what you mean. But you're right. There is a certain – There, there is, is a, a way certain, to do it. It's yeah. miraculous. Uh, it has its own twisted logic to it, that. Do you ever, have you ever found yourself in a booth where this is going on? You're getting Mitch and Ben and, and you know, Marcy and <laughs> everybody Greg. giving you <laughs> 50 different directions. To the point where you kind of go, guys, I don't know what you want anymore. Or would you just think, you know what? I'll just keep going. I'll just keep bashing stuff out until someone goes, let's go back to the first one you did. You know, what's, what's you, you know, have you ever had a hissy fit? Yeah, I have. I, and and you've, it's always embarrassing and you don't want to do it. And you're like, all right, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. And it has everything to do with you and your mood that day. Did you eat breakfast? You know, what, <laughs> how are you doing as a human being? Yeah. I, occasionally I would sound a little testy and go, you know, what you're asking, you know, you know, and you start to get a little pointed with your communication. You start to take over and sort of try to drive it, which isn't really your job. Now, I learned something about that, mm. and it might be of use to, to the other professionals that are listening in here or beginners, too. I learned something from a, a voice actor, a terrific voice actor, a, a guy who I respect tremendously named Corey Burton. Mm-hmm. You know that name, Corey Burton? I don't, actually, no. Well, you, you, you've heard him because he's done a ton of stuff for Disney, and he's, he's extraordinarily talented. I, I directed him in a, a bunch of audiobook productions, and uh, I got to take his talents out for a spin as it were. And, and he's extraordinary. But what I learned from Corey, he's one of these voice artists that, that makes me look like an, a you know, part-time guy. Uh, he works, I probably is working right now. I mean, <laughs> you know, he's, he's working every minute of the day, never gets out of the booth. That's it. If it's not true, it's at least believable. Yeah. <laughs> so he had every opportunity to have, his fur go up on the back of his neck by people going, Corey, it sounds great, but could you, you know, oh, you know, I know that he had just endless amounts of opportunities to be, you know, twisted up by that. Yeah. But he developed either by, and I, I believe with him it's genuine, but I've adopted it. And when that happens, when they start saying, hey, I wonder, could you? And these little th- notes that are not helpful. Yeah. My default now, which works very, very well, puts me in control of the situation. I just go, that's a good idea. Let's do it. You accept it. Yeah. And acknowledge the fact that they had an idea. Mm-hmm. You don't shoot it down and you go, that's a good idea. Let's try it. Then they have the freedom to go, yeah, I guess we shouldn't have done that. And you go, yeah, all right, well, fine. 
what, what you know and I, I honestly anything that puts you in the driver's seat on those in those moments like that i think is very useful and i've since i discovered that by by having Corey say it to me basically uh many times good idea and i'm like okay good no i as a director i feel validated and now i feel like all right, let's proceed. And I, I feel just a little saner. You want them to be a little saner so that they'll recognize we've gone on with this too long. Give it a try. Probably instinctively, I, I've been doing that down the years. I would send, to, you know, if you hear something coming through your headphones and you'll go, sure, yeah, I would, yeah I'll give it a shot. Yeah, because you're, you're then validating them. You're saying to them, oh, you know what? Why not? You know. And then when you do it, that's that's the you know nine nine times out of ten, it's not the thing they thought it right. was going to be. Right. But our job, our job as the voice actor is to pre- is to present them with choices. Yeah. And and they have and they are like pushing a button. They're like, give me another choice. Give me another choice. Give me another choice. Okay, we're not machines, but we can at least have this pleasant interchange. And one way to do it is just by accepting and going, okay, I, I'd be very happy to do that and be happy about it. Well, let's also have a chat about because the, the other work that you do. So we, let's let's move away from Al's Carpet Store in uh, you know <laughs> down the road or Sacramento yeah. or whatever. What sort of work is it that really floats your boat? The thing that a lot of us got into this business to do, I think, is to sound like someone you're not, mm-hmm. and to create a character that is so different from who you really are doesn't look like you, the wrong age, the wrong country, everything is, you want it just mixed up. If someone says, we want you to play a kind of a half man, half oyster, who is uh, got a bad, his spine is coming out of his back and he's in terrible pain and he's from Hungary, and he, but he's a count. And he has, he's, he's very full of himself and wealthy and he's just bejeweled and, yeah. The deck with the deck. And you go, that sounds great. I want to read for that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, rather than, uh, this is a nice guy that lives next door and he's, he's, a, he's a grandpa. Yeah. So you're, you're taking all those little hooks there and that's a challenge, but also at the same time, it's, it's a fun pursuit. It's something you're thinking, you know, like, let's find all those little bits and pieces. Let's, let's work out how that works in my voice. So would that be, tend to be, uh, for animations and games, yeah, and and audiobook productions as well. I had the good fortune of directing uh, about five hundred hours of audio fiction, yeah, a few years ago, and uh, it was extraordinary experience. And that's where I discovered really when I when I had my little wasn't so little. I had a pretty big group of actors that I would call back again and again because they were reliable and because we had a mountain of material to get through, and. Uh, one for one, the people that really were good at it were people who had been doing it all their lives anyway, you know, not even long before they became professionals because they liked this exercise or this game, if you will, of I'm, it's not me. I'm, I'm just a little kid, but I'm going to sound like this, you know? Yeah. And that I think came about, I mean, when we think of radio in this country, I know English radio is still a a thriving thing. Yeah. Uh, Radio drama, radio comedies and stuff like that here doesn't really exist. Very, very spotty. But when we think of radio, we think of the great old days of 30s and 40s radio when it really was a major part of our economy and a major part of our culture. Yeah. And that's, I think, where a lot of guys like me got the idea, oh, maybe there's, maybe there's a, an activity that I could get involved in that is like this, because this looks like a fun game. Yeah. It would be like if there was a some kind of old Roman game that nobody plays anymore, but you're like, I'd love to play that game someday. And you'd have to find a group of people that played that crazy old game. When I directed this uh, series of audiobooks, and there were stories from the 30s and 40s, golden age stories, uh, and all of them by one author, by L. Ron Hubbard. And there were cowboys and pirates and uh, science fiction, of course, and fantasy. We started off doing one story a week. Then we did one story a day. And they were extraordinary. And the guys in the booth and the women, too, uh, that we had, they understood that, all right, these are, these are going to be larger-than-life characters. And maybe that's really the best answer for, for your question earlier is, like, what do you want to play? You want to play something that busts you out of the limitations of of this kind of pathetic lifetime, right? You want to be a guy who doesn't mind crashing a plane into, you know, on the side of a mountain if he has to 
you know, if he has to do that or, or yeah. punching a guy in the jaw and jumping up on the deck of the ship and taking over the wheel. And <laughs> this is, this is not relative to, to human behavior today. It's just not, you know, de rigueur. So uh, we have to, to play characters like that and to voice them and to feel that and to actually be that. It feels fantastic. Yeah. And it is this, this interesting art form too, to bring it off convincingly. So it's a kind of escapism and also, in a sense, boundaries are down. Because I was going to talk to you about this because, you, as I said early on, I know you best as an impressionist and your impressions are, you know, astounding. I'm going to get you to do Joe Biden before the end of this show. Okay, well, that's fine. No, hey, hey, uh, <laughs> uh, is it Simon? Simon, don't worry. Come on, man. You just asked me. It's... Uh, what were we talking about? I'm sorry. I lost the thread. <laughs> well, I've got what I wanted. Thank you. Um, the but impressions, though, to a certain extent, you're confined to the, the character and the characteristics of your mark. I mean, yes, you can you can play around the edges and you can you give them a little bit of a cartoon quality, but ultimately you're stuck inside. You know, there's your Biden. You've picked up his slurring and his, you know, his forgetfulness and what the, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on stuff. And, um, you know, if you did, if you took Trump, you could take all his bluster and all of his, you know, his lying or whatever, whatever those characteristics are. And you can magnify them, play with them. But ultimately, you ultimately to sell the impression, you need to stay within some bounds of credibility. Otherwise, you, you might as well be doing anybody. When you're doing these characters, you, you're talking about the audiobook characters, I guess, animation characters. The world's your oyster, isn't it? With, with, yeah. within, well, I was going to say within reason, but particularly if you're directing, it's entirely up to you. It is a broader, you have broader choices for sure. Mm. Although sometimes we would go, uh, okay, here's this character. Gee, this reminds me of the kind of character that this actor would play. And we would just do, <laughs> we would kind of knock off that actor to some degree or, or from some actors we didn't even know the name of that was in a 1935 movie with Peter Laurie. You go, who's yeah. that guy with the long nose? It's always, he's always in these movies. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of sounds like this. Yes. That's the kind of fellow we're looking for. Someone like that. But it, you do have the freedom of creating out of whole cloth. You just have the information. Okay. What does the author say about this character? Uh, how old is he? You know, uh, how physical is he? What, what is he going to do in this show? And yeah, you have it. It's really open and free and oh gosh, we had a, the best time. It was really, really a lot of fun, and and everybody learned a lot from it. You talk about other actors, and I, there was a certain uh, dynamic when you're in a studio on your own. You know, you're kind of in your own little little bubble, and you get on with it, and you you churn this thing out. When you're in a studio with lots of other people who are also performing alongside you, I've done a fair bit of uh, radio drama, radio comedy, mm-hmm. uh, and. It changes the way you perform. It changes the way you respond to things. Absolutely. Do you find that more enjoyable than the, the kind of the, the lone guy in the booth? I do. I mean, theater and television and all these things are meant to be social. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's dropped out a little bit because of time constraints and mm. uh, other things advantages really of, of the internet and recording technology you don't have to schedule everybody to be in the same place at the same time and that has tremendous advantages but artistically i think most people agree directors and creators and actors certainly that you're missing something uh, yeah actually they're trying to re- duplicate that on some uh, platforms where you can actually in more or less real time have multiple actors communicating with one another doing a scene but recorded separately so that you can account for overlapping and, and defeat any kind of problem there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the last time I worked with a group of people, it's been some time where we were actually seven or eight of us in a room together and it was a lot of fun. And I think, yeah. you know, you know this too. It's just like when you know that the performance you're giving is actually going to land somewhere and impact somebody who is, you know, within eyesight <laughs> It just changes. It absolutely changes. Yeah. When you're on your own and alone and you're just reading lines, you have to kind of create that other nebulous sort of hypothetical person to be delivering the communication to. And any good professional can do that. They can make it sound like they're talking to someone. Yeah. 
But I think there's more possibilities that occur of a richer sound and interchange when everybody is actually in the room together. There's always that risk of sounding slightly pretentious about it, but I think there is a creative energy in that situation yeah. that you, yeah. you won't get in, in the booth on your own. But it also means that sometimes you are surrounded by one or two delicate egos, a little artistic sure. temperament around the place. Sure. Have you, because uh, I, I, you know, I, I love dishing the dirt here and I've, I've been in booths or, you know, with tickling radio drama and radio comedy where one or two people have played up quite well-known people and you think, oh, shit, I mean, what did I say? What did I do? How did this all go to hell? Is, has that <laughs> been, been your experience? Have you, you, you can name names, you know, tell me, tell me Tom, Tom Cruise yeah, I, was really. I, I don't have any good dish for you, but I, <laughs> well, I think. You know what happens is artists are very sensitive people, actors, yeah. actresses. We're very sensitive people because it's just a mechanical thing because you are putting yourself out there constantly, you know, in audition yeah. situations and work situations in front of an audience are just much more than the average person. So uh, thereby, you just automatically have more opportunities for someone to go, yeah, no, and to evaluate what you've just done or, or, you know, at, at worst to go off, you know, and really, really kind of dismiss you. Yeah. So there are all those little, there are a lot of different shades of that. Right. But the one thing they have in common is that they all start to stack up on you. Yeah. So that actor that walks into the studio to do a part is almost like a ticking bomb <laughs> because they've been, they've been evaluated and judged and criticized for years and it's probably has not gone away. It's just sort of stacked up on them. And it's yeah. like the little, I don't know if you have the Jenga game where you pull a block out of from a the stack of little uh, uneven blocks and you pull the wrong one and the whole thing goes down. So as a director, you have to be, I think, tremendously empathetic that way. And one thing, again, a, a sort of a tip that I learned early on, because you know, I, I dealt with people who were very professional, who you could say anything to them and they didn't care because they'd already sort of made up their minds that they were great, which is a good thing to do. Uh, have that confidence, just sort of lock it in and go, you know what? I'm great. If someone says I'm not, they're an idiot. And just, you can, you can get a lot of mileage out of that. That's a very workable system. But more often than not, you get people that are a little more sensitive, right? So I would just always be very alert to accepting what they did as a choice and acknowledging it, you know? So someone does it, you go, okay, Mary, uh, or Phil, you know, Phil, you're going to read this part and, uh, and give it a shot, you know? And Phil goes, and he does something that you really thought, oh, oh no, no one would ever do this. That's terrible. If you get in a fight with Phil, this session is never going to end. But if you go, awesome, that was great. This time, do another one for me now. Just, just amuse me. Can you do one where he's, he actually loves the girl? And we hear it in his voice that he loves her. So if you accept it and acknowledge it as best you can, and then like a different thing now. Now we're going to do something different. Because you know how awful it is when someone says, okay, um, that wasn't, I didn't like uh, that. Something about it, and you're like, okay. And then you continue to kind of mold that little thing and create that little thing over and over again. And after a while, it's just like, ah. Then it's work. You don't, you know, kind of knot of enmity and and a knot unrest. of enmity is a perfect way of describing it. Yeah, I like that very much. You mentioned uh, you talked about audio books, which is a, a an interesting area. I've never done one myself. Oh, you, you'd love it. It's just, I, I would love to do one. Yeah. It seems to me it's a, it's a whole separate discipline for, for a number of reasons, not least because, A, you're, mis, you know, you're there as narrator. So the first thing is you're conveying the prose, you know, and, and, and therefore you have to get the story over, you have to do it and you know, hit all the right marks. But also you're playing all of these characters. And for that reason, I'd really love to do it. How do you go about preparing 100 voices? Well, it's an it's an art form again, so it, it really is up to you. And some there there are lots of different schools of thought about this. Hmm. You you have to kind of see uh, first of all, they don't often tell you. It's not micromanaged at all in the audiobooks that I've worked on. 
now I'm known as an impressionist and I'm known as a voice actor. So I think there's some expectation that I will bring some color to these characters, Yeah, but uh, uh, I'm not usually directed that way, but uh, it, it's a, it's a kind of a minefield because you, you want to, well, here's, here's the basic thing is, do you read the book ahead of time? And most, uh, most people don't, most uh, narrators don't because suddenly you've engaged another four or five hours of, of work yeah. into your process, right? So it's, sure. it's a monetary thing, right? Now, when I first started out, I would read the whole book and spend the time because I was starting out and I, I thought that makes sense. I didn't want to be familiar with this thing. And then I would sort of look, okay, there's these characters. Good. I guess I could do this voice. And uh, wow, it's a lot of characters. And it just keeps adding up. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. And then as I got busier, I lost the luxury of time to read the book ahead of time. And I did quite a few just cold. And at this point, I read everything cold. Unless it's a very technical book that is not so much about characters and it's gonna, it looks like it's going to be a real minefield. So the, the liability there, as I'm sure you can tell, is that uh, you know, a character comes up in chapter one. That's uh, it's the bartender, and he says, uh, "You gents coming in here to work on the ranch, the old uh, Diamond Bar Ranch?" And then you go, "Okay, well, I'll just throw that guy out. He's just a day player, not a big problem." Then that's on chapter two. Then chapter sixteen, here comes that bartender again, and now yeah. suddenly his, his part has evolved. And he's strong. suddenly he's a big part of. The, Whoa! Wait, what did I do? What? I don't. I kind of remember this guy. It's been, you know, three days, maybe uh, a few hours of, of recording. So I learned that with every character that you think might have a life later on in this story and who doesn't get killed right away, you make a little file, a little sound file, a little sample. You just take a little copy, a little sample, what you already recorded, label it bartender, put it on another track so that if he shows up again, you go, I remember that guy, go back and look for him and go. Oh yeah, okay, okay, got it. Then you go back and you start to record it. If you don't do that, you can get really, really screwed. But you're effectively because you're reading these things cold. You're you're in, inventing these character voices on the fly. So you know you you suddenly come up to, you know Jim Smith, um, and you hope tall, you- lanky, weather-beaten man with a black hat and a mustache and. Yeah. We had a perpetual scowl, and he looked, oh, yeah. how are you? How are you folks doing? I suppose you and your family are going to want to move into the... And then you discover later on, he was just shy of 18, and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things here that I've kind of talking to other voiceovers about audiobook work is that it's it's a lot of effort, a lot of, you know, you're investing a lot of time. Most of the... I guess the, the people, the, the trainers, the people who, who educate about how you go, you know, how you actually produce a, uh, or narrate a, a book would suggest you spend hours going through the book, you get your highlighter, and then you make copious notes about all of those characters and so on. And in the end, I'm thinking my initial approach to this was I haven't doing that much work because the money on the whole, is not fantastic. You know, you, not fantastic. You, know you, you can go in and do an, uh, a commercial, which takes you an hour, and walk away with a significant sum of money and, and right. spend 25 hours on a book and there's nothing yes. in it. So I guess that's reading cold is, is a pretty good way to go. It saves you a lot of time, as you say. Yeah, if you can do it. And then, of course, you have to, you know, if you make a lot of mistakes, which is inevitable, then you come back and have a pickup session and stuff like that. You pick up those errors. But, um, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. It is time consuming. It's very isolated. I like to do it if I'm not doing other things because particularly now uh, during a pandemic, there's precious other work that one can get. Yeah. And this is something that can be done at home. It can be done on your own schedule. You know, I tend to do it, you know, after hours, you know, when things are kind of quiet anyway, I've had the good fortune of reading some wonderful books that I really was glad I read and a few stinkers, you know, but sure. mostly, mostly good ones. And, uh, you learn things, you know, reading is a, reading is a good activity. <laughs> So being paid for reading is okay too. You're a guy, you come up with a female character. What do you do? Yeah, I've heard people talk about this. I think there's just a, the main thing is the character, right? Mm. The gender is the gender. 
So, you know, I had a book one time where it was like, okay, I, I don't have any problem with female, female characters. Usually I lighten my voice up a little bit. If it's an, a woman's voice, it has maybe, a, depending on the character, it has a certain softness to it. And, and maybe it's a little higher, but not crazy high. I don't go into falsetto, but I just sort of lighten it up. And that is a kind of a woman's viewpoint on communication. Again, a tremendous generalization. I was in the middle of a book and the women characters just kept adding up and it just, another one would come in and another, and, and there were like 10 or 12 distinct female characters. Yeah. And then I was starting to sweat because I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I got to make Hilda here different from Gretchen and uh, Michelle is also, she's older, I guess. And maybe she's a little more down home like this. And so... Then I try to keep it. And then there's one that's like this. But so I, I try not to imitate women, but to take on, like like any actor, I try to take on their viewpoint. What if I was playing it on stage? Then be like that. But it, it's, and luckily I don't have a, a tremendously deep set of pipes. Mm. I can go a bit deeper. I can stretch up and down. I have that versatility. Mm-hmm. And be very light indeed. I mean, oh, Henry, are you sure you want to come in looking like that? Don't you think grandpa will be upset? I don't know. I, I suppose he might. I don't. That being said, also, I find that I, my, my philosophy about characterizing uh, and, and making distinct vocal choices in an audio book has softened a bit. I started out trying to make the most distinct characters that I possibly could so that we actually thought that this book was peopled by, you know, six or seven different actors. Yeah. I no longer do that because I realized one day you know, I don't know if I would want to hear that. <laughs> I don't know if I could put up with that. So I, I, I'm a little softer. I'm just lightly trying to paint little distinctions so that we know, oh, he's talking. Now she's talking. Now he's talking. Not like, who's this? And who's this guy? You know, not so abrupt. Let's um, have a chat about the, let's take you back into the booth. You're a funny guy. You do loads of great voices. Do you ever have an urge to entertain when you're in the booth? Because this was one of my great failings as a as a younger voiceover artist. Uh, you know, sometimes sit in the booth. My agent always used to say to me, "Hey, go in, show them how good you are." And I thought that meant, "Hey, I'm going to do my 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 stand up set here." You know, uh, yeah, do yeah. fifty voices, and then you'd start to see them glazing over in the in, in the. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, look, we know you can do some voices. That's why we brought you in in the first place. <laughs> but do you ever get that? Or perhaps when you're bored and you just start going, you know, just start turning into Trump or Jeff Goldblum or, you know, <laughs> does that does that urge ever hit you? A little, sometimes. I'm I'm not the most garrulous person that way, so I don't do, I don't dominate sessions uh, that way. But I, you know, it's like in life, you you want to be able to lighten the mood when things get a little too rough. When things are too grindy and kind of somber or problematic, you want to be able to bust it open with a little humor. And so I kind of reserve my arsenal for those moments where, oh man, we're everyone's nobody's enjoying this. <laughs> you know, let's get this, <laughs> let's get this broken up a little bit. And that's yeah. that's kind of how I operate in life anyway. So, but you know, you you hear about the great American um, voiceover actor Paul Frees. Are you familiar with him? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And he had a career that was just crazy. He he was one of those guys that was doing it at the right time in the right place and absolutely dominated voiceover. And he apparently uh, would hold forth, and he would go in for a session, and he would talk and do a monologue for an hour and then they would get down to, all right, let's do this thing. And they do one or two takes and he'd skip out. Yeah. That's a very distinct personality. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy, but I do like to, I do like to, to crack people up and, and uh, especially I'm working, you know, I do Colonel Sanders voice for uh, the KFC brand here in the United States. And uh, Colonel Sanders is a, a voice that I remember very well from my youth. So it has been simple for me to take on the mantle of this particular character. And we've discovered that it is pretty funny to have him say almost anything else than other than what's on the script. <laughs> so when we're in those sessions, I'll okay, here and there, here and there, I'll have Colonel Sanders say something kind of inappropriate or off color when I know that the tape isn't rolling. 
<laughs> well, there's a voice I do, I've been doing for seven or eight years. Um, Lifflous, creamy, lovely, gravelly Welsh sort of thing going on. And I would sometimes uh-huh. think, it's great just to say, no, uh, uh, how many how many eggs does it take to make an omelette? You know, and I, I just, because <laughs> it, it lends itself to portentousness um, naturally. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, if you take it out, it's a bit like doing impressions, actually, isn't it? Because quite often you take your yeah. character somewhere they shouldn't be. And that helps to give that moment an edge, which is, um, as I say, sort of standard impression technique. Let's have a chat about weird gigs. Now, everybody I've spoken to so far on Your Popping has got a weird gig under their belt. Um, and by weird, I mean anything, but just something out of the ordinary. When you came out of there thinking, what the hell just happened in there? I'm sure you must... Must have had a few down the years. Oh yeah, I, the one that always comes to mind for me is uh, when I was in New York again, just sort of starting out, and I'd go to these wonderful old studios where, you know, so much work had been done. And one day I went to a thing, and uh, it was some radio commercial, and there in the booth with me were four or five of the top voiceover people. I mean, the really famous people. Yeah, and we're all in there together, and. It turns out, and none, nobody was very clear on what what it was we were supposed to do because you know you don't you don't get a script ahead of time more often than not. And it turned out that the thing that we were all supposed to do, all of us, me, a fledgling, but you know, showing promise, and all these grandmasters of the craft, what we were supposed to do was go. Now, do you need a great voice artist? No, you need you need someone in high school to do yeah. that. <laughs> and we're all popping and looking at each other like, can you believe this? Is this really happening? <laughs> and and of course they directed it too. You know, yeah, that's good. That's good. Can you, a little slower on the impact. Can you? Can you do it faster but slower? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. I mean, it reminds me of when I. I did where I, it was for a dog food thing. And, and they, they had this thing. It's the sound of a dog eating going om nom nom, om nom nom. And I had to do om nom nom in about 500 different accents. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There was one, you just reminded me of another one where uh, it was for Arby's roast beef sandwiches. And they had done some sort of uh, co-op with, uh, you know how they sometimes will combine with a movie or, yeah. you know, you come into McDonald's and you'll get a cup with the Avengers on it. And back then they had some sort of co-op with the Babar the Elephant uh, franchise. Right. You familiar with Babar the Elephant? Yeah, sure. Children's books. Yeah. Sure. And uh, I was, again, reading the script called, we were, well, let's just record this, you know, and I'm reading <laughs> down. And for all the world, it sounded like this combination of roast beef sandwich and Babar. Sounded, yeah. sounded, started to sound kind of like, wait a minute, are you, are we going to slice up Babar? It, it, <laughs> the way it was written was, I, I just, I corpsed. I laughed so hard. I thought, what, what are we saying here? Yeah. Kids are going to be scandalized. <laughs> it's something that doesn't happen very often in my experience, but the, the corpsing. And quite often it's nothing to do with the script. It's something that's going on in the studio or some direction, quite often with a direction, and you think that's just so stupid. And as you're trying to put it into effect in your voice, I mean, oh. in my case, you know, just lose it. And they're, they're so you okay, man? Yeah, 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 no, just yeah. something. Yeah. Oh, listen, <laughs> you know, and, and then yeah. for, for 10 minutes, we have to do something else. Yeah, that has happened to me many times. And it's sort of a guilty pleasure, isn't it? You're, you're like, oh, my God, I'm trapped. I cannot say these things. <laughs> and this is so serious. It happened to me just recently. I'm trying to remember what happened, but it was like, okay. And then you try to go, well, I'll just do it faster. I'll just get through it. Yeah. And, you know, it, oh, you enjoy it to a point, but then you realize, mm, I'm the only person that's having this reaction and everybody else is just trying to go to lunch. You know? Sure. But it's, a, it's worse when you're, you know, you're in a studio with a few people. I, I used to do quite a lot of uh, sort of radio comedy, playing lots of different characters, mostly impressions based. Um, on Radio 5 here, BBC Radio 5. And there'd be four or five of us, you know, impressionists in the room, John Colshaw maybe and Alistair McGowan and one or two others. And then something would happen and we'd just go and 
you know, it, that could be 20 minutes of just yeah. nothing happening, but just, just screaming with laughter and trying to, and the more, I think the more you try and uh, control it, the worse it gets. Yeah. It just runs its course. When we spoke last time, and for, for listeners who don't know this, you, your mum is Marion Ross, who yes. uh, was a wonderful actress, and uh, I guess here would be best known for playing Marion in Happy Days. And I think we talked about your life, you know, growing up, perhaps, you know, that there would be well-known people around the place from time to time. So it may be more natural for you than it would be for somebody like me with, without that kind of background. But whenever I've been in a booth with somebody really famous, it creates a kind of an odd atmosphere that's very hard to, because quite often famous people are not very good at voiceover. Unless they're famous for voiceover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The famous pole vaulters are terrible at voiceover. <laughs> Shockers. <laughs> but I, I did a, a voiceover with, Let's say somebody who's become well-known. We were talking about this guy before we uh, started recording. Uh, an English guy who's become well-known in America presents uh, a chat show over there. And I, I did a voiceover with this guy many, many moons ago. And he wasn't really all that great at voiceovers. But, of course, nowadays people would employ that guy because of who he is as opposed to how well he does the work. Have you ever been in a session with somebody, you know, either mega famous or famous for acting or for, you know, for some other thing that they do as opposed to voiceovers where you've thought, you know what, you're, uh, <laughs> this is weird and it feels odd. And also you're not necessarily that great at this thing because it's not something everybody can do. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure I have. I, I've worked with a lot of celebs before and some of them were, well, what happens with celebs too, I think, uh, is that two things happen, right? One is that you expect more from them because maybe they've pleased you in their performances before and you kind of think, well, this is an actor. This is like, this is a person who is amazing, right? And then the thing that goes against that is that often they don't prepare very much for a voiceover gig because it's not really something that they care that much about. Yeah. So they come in and they look at the piece of paper maybe and they're, they're like me. They kind of go, all right, what do we got today? Meanwhile, they're not up to speed really with the art form to just kind of deliver a performance that perhaps is at their level on camera or on the stage yeah. uh, where they can just basically come out and do something amazing or they would take a little more time to prepare. And so then they, they do their rendition and you go, oh, that's that's kind of disappointing. I, I thought they were going to knock my socks off and instead they're just kind of laying it out and, and not investing as much in it as they might have if they were doing something they actually cared about and weren't just doing for the paycheck. You know, I've worked with, with other people who were famous people and, and famous names and they shock you. They're like, wow, you're, you're all over this. You know, you're, you're creating something amazing here. And I, I'm so thrilled to be with you uh, to, to witness it, you know, so it depends. It's a very individual thing. I think the thing about don't meet your heroes is, is, is applies here as well. One of my first things was with uh, there were a, a reboot of an adventure series called Johnny Quest, which was an adventure show, and there were quite a few film actors in there. Uh, Robert Patrick was in there uh, from the Terminator film, yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, George Siegel, the actor who used to be very very popular, and. Uh, yeah. You know, they were terrific. I mean, an actor generally, particularly a stage trained actor or or someone who's, um, I don't know, done multi-camera work or has been in front of an audience, let's say, they tend to understand that when you're creating a character, it needs to be a 360 degree character. It needs to be one that we can feel from a lot of different angles. And so they they prepare something that's a little bigger than just, well, it's a, it's a voice. It's an accent and a voice and a tempo. No, it's this whole big thing that we get to experience. And we hear it, but it, there's a lot there that isn't expressed. Yeah. I mean, I've certainly come across that in uh, radio drama, radio comedy, where quite well-known people, you, you kind of see the process. And I think, you know, I'm a voice guy. I do voices. I'm not an actor. I have no training in acting. And then I see the difference between my approach to it and theirs. And as you say, there's, there's that kind of 
they embrace the whole thing and they're, yeah. they're looking for things that you didn't even think about. And I guess that's partly their training and partly their status. Their, their, it's a whole you know, a different level of, of approach. Yeah, a different approach, exactly. This has flown by. I've loved uh, chatting again. It's been great to, to see you again. You're looking extremely well. What's the, what's the weather like there? It's, just, it's the morning in uh, LA. It's gotten a bit cold. We, we're actually experiencing a change in, in temperature. Oh, right. So, so it's, it's like, um, I don't know what it would be in Celsius, but it's about... It's about sixty degrees Fahrenheit, which is you know starting to be starting to be challenging. Disappointing, you know? disappointing. Well, we're yeah, we're we're down to well, it's night. You know, it's evening here. It's getting on for seven o'clock in the evening. It's good. It's dark. It's miserable. It's yeah, misty. Yeah. It's grim. Moody. It's British. Oh, it's so British, yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll you know, but we uh, we stiff up a lip. We'll uh, we'll yes. cope. We'll cope. Yeah, uh, and come through it. Um, it has been great. I just, let me just put one last question to you before we finish then. Right. Your favorite job, the best job, when well, you've come out of it thinking, wow, I just, everything about that was so enjoyable, not necessarily because it paid well, but because it just ticked all of the boxes for fun and uh, giving you, uh, you know, giving full reign to your skills. Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Yeah, I, I, what, the first thing I think of uh, in the voiceover realm, anyway, is uh, an audiobook I did called "To the Stars," and this again was another one of these wonderful Hubbard novels from 1930 something. Mm -hmm. And there was a character, uh, Captain Jocelyn, and uh, he, he was a very uh, rich character. And I was I had just started directing these things, and I thought, you know, I, I gave myself that role. And which was a very key role. And I, I, there was something I was trying to do with that character. And I didn't know for sure if I could do it. And I think that's the key to uh, a lot of happiness is you have a goal, not quite sure if you're going to do it, not quite sure if you can make it. You exert yourself, you invest your activities, you, you put your perceptions to work, you really strive, and then you bring it off. And yeah. you're like, okay, I thought I could do that. <laughs> you know? So... That made me very happy, and I thought it was a great story and a really fun activity, and that people would get a lot out of it. and uh, And when I was actually, you know, performing it, I worked very hard. You know, like in the booth, and just like you know, really, really long monologue. You know, you want to do this monologue really right. Yeah. And uh, I did what I set out to do. People liked it. And I'm like, all right, that felt good. So it's a, it's a great sense of achievement having having set yourself a goal and and hit hit all the marks and. You came yeah. out of that feeling, and there's a possibility that you're not going to that you're going to screw up, or that it's not going to quite make it. You know that 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 has to be part of it. That's what makes the Olympics so interesting. You know? Absolutely. Well, look, Jim, it's been great. Thank you so much for uh, joining me here. Thank you, the Simon. It was wonderful. Wonderful questions. Thank you Listen, so much. Well, whatever my next podcast is, you're on it. I, it could be about uh, quantum physics. I don't know, but we'll. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to the library, find out all about it. I'll be ready. Yeah, how hard could it be, right? Yeah, it's, it's straightforward. It's easy peasy. Um, <laughs> so, but until then, thank you to Jim Meskimen, all the way from LA, for joining us here on Your Popping. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening in. And we'll be back next time. Do join us then. Thank you. Bye bye. You can find Your Popping on all the major podcast platforms. So, why not subscribe and give us five stars? We also have our own Your Popping Facebook page and our Twitter handle is at Voice Maestros, where you can also find links to our Making an Impression podcast featuring some of the best impressionists on the planet. 